Hello everyone and welcome to Idle Thoughts, our new podcast where Jamie, Sam and I are going to settle down into RPG Corner with a nice warm cup of cocoa and talk about the games that we have played in the previous month. We suggest you do the same, get a tipple of your own choice and listen as we discuss the games we've played, good and not, uh, over the month of October. Sam, what have you been up to? Oh, I'd first like to say um, I'm happy to be here on a new cast. I mean... It's really nice being able to spend this long in RPG Corner. Like it is very comfy. I'm yeah. super comfortable. Oh, and also, I'd just like to thank our patrons for making this possible. We wouldn't be doing this cast without you. Thank you very well, thank much. You for, Absolutely, thank you. Very thank much. you. So, yesterday, I, along with you, Ian, indeed, had the pleasure, really, of having an intro game to Arkham Horror Third Edition from Fantasy Flight Games. First thoughts are positive, and I think you agree there. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it's a much more claustrophobic board than it has been in previous editions of Arkham and Eldritch. It's it's much smaller, but I think I quite like that feeling of it that it um, it feels much more like a town. So like the threats are always nearby, but you can yeah. get to the areas that are getting out of control as well. So if if people don't know, this is really has been up until now. Maybe it's starting to change, or maybe they're bringing it back. Fantasy Flight's premier flagship. Lovecraft mythos game. Arkham Horror has always been their kind of jewel in the Arkham crown that sees investigators take on small-scale mysteries, really, you know, confined to the city of Arkham or its surrounding areas. Eldritch Horror went worldwide. Arkham Horror, the card game, which we'll probably talk about as well in this conversation, kind of takes you, again, small town, but it lets you do that over a campaign, over a series of locations, over a much longer period of time. Arkham Horror, the board game, keeps its single scenario, one location, one town, one threat. Band together, get things done. Kill some demons, have a good time. Yeah, the interesting difference, I think, in the second edition is, uh, sorry, in third edition, is that the previous versions of um, both Arkham and El- Eldritch was basically a, a new edition of Arkham. Yeah. Global, very similar kind of style of play, is that it was always about, like, defeating an elder god that was that was the main thing like yes. the, the elder god would awaken or not and you would then shoot it in the face or not um depending on how things went with the third edition it feels much more like the sort of story elements of the lcg have been brought in so in an individual scenario because the game is now scenario based rather than necessarily based on an elder god okay uh, you you are you're playing individual scenarios and although they are themed around an elder god you aren't necessarily just going up directly against it at all yeah that was good so it's it's introduced a mechanic called the codex is that right where it's kind of like a um just a space near the board where you you lay out some cards and there's a, a stack of cards that can enter the codex through various gameplay interactions and, and story developments that you that you that you trigger through performing certain things in in the game um that kind of tells the story for you and lay and lays that out almost much like the lcg you know if you have requisite number of x or if you kill this thing flip this card over read the other side here's the next bit of the story um it gave you a good intro to as to kind of why you're all together in one place at the beginning um you know the intro scenario not to really give anything away kind of said you know strange things are happening the standard arkham spiel at the beginning strange Um, things happening in arkham never yeah and you all meet at the train station in the morning to to kind of discuss what's going on and, and to set your 
your plan of action. Um, and that was quite nice. And and story elements did pop up. Um, we were playing with one other person who had played that scenario before. And they were saying our playthrough did feel different, which is a huge kind of reassurance for me. You know, when it's something that is you get four scenarios in that base game um, in that kind of core set, if we're calling that at the moment. Um, and it's just good to know that those scenarios can feel different. Different things can happen. There's a lot of cards in each scenario to kind of change the way things might happen. And obviously there's a fair amount of random elements as, as to kind of what cards are going to be drawn, what encounters are going to come up for each player, what enemies are going to enter the board, and just to change various things as you, as you play through each different playthrough. Yeah, the codex very much feels like a sort of a mashing together of the agenda and act deck from the LCG oh, into really, a sort of really singular is, sort yeah. of storyline. And I'm really keen to see how other scenarios handle it. I can definitely see ways for them to to mess around with those mechanics. What Because like one of the things that sold me on the LCG was the second scenario where you turn over that first act deck and there's a there's a surprise from the previous your previous knowledge of how that act deck should work. There's a sudden surprise on the other side of that yeah, card. Yeah, straight away like, they're kind of yeah. saying this is what you thought would happen in this game. Think again. We can do different things with this. Yeah. Um, it can and it's one of the things that's off. really impressed me all the way through the LCG development is that the designers consistently push the boundaries of what they've taught you. They teach you in one scenario, this thing happens. So they teach you in a previous campaign, here's the, here's how this game works. And then yeah. in the next game, they just break it, just shatter it against the wall. Some other things we talked about when we were playing the game that I really liked, differences from 2nd edition to 3rd edition. 2nd edition of Arkham Horror, I'm sure probably 1st edition as well, not that I've ever played it, or really seen a copy, to be honest. And same with Eldritch, is that it has a set board. You know, it's got your very common rectangular board game board that never changes printed on it whereas arkham third edition brings in a modular map which is really really nice so different districts of arkham represented by different hexagons that are then linked together through street tiles with plenty of room for expansion of course plenty of room for expansion but again i think that just makes it feel so much more unique scenario to scenario i feel that there was this thing you could do in second edition which is you pretty much you know the map you know, that you yeah. know, oh, it takes me that lot. If I want to go and get healed, I know how many moves that's going to take me. I know how much money that's going to cost me. Whereas this is constantly changing, you know. And when we say constantly changing, it's Arkham. Could the town change during scenario? I'm sure that could happen in the future. Who knows? The, the other thing I really liked about the small map is it was easier to parse what was going on, like to see where the threats and doom were. Like well, yeah. with, with Eldritch, I've always found like there's there's so many sort of tokens across the board, so many things happening that it is slightly hard to see exactly what's going on all the time at, uh, mm. from, from moment to moment. Whereas with this, it always felt like I, I had a good idea of exactly what was going on at all times. Because Maybe, of the way some, some people were... might not like that as much. Maybe. Uh, because of the way things were set up for me it seemed like a much more tactile visual version of the card game that yeah. actually you know you you don't have many locations you can very clearly see this location links to that location this one links to that from there yeah. i have to go through these ones and that's very much what the what the card game tries to do really you know it gives you usually around kind of you know five locations ish with paths between the two and it brings it down to a much smaller scale so i th i really feel that you 
you as a player feel you are impacting the game because it's on that small scale. That's yeah. something that I didn't feel with Eldritch. Admittedly, I've only played Eldritch once, but because it was on a global scale, I felt kind of disconnected from the story of everything. Yeah, I've played Eldritch a lot. Um, we we got really enthusiastic about Eldritch when it first came out, and we, we really did enjoy it for a long time. It's become a little bloated with expansions over the over the mm-hmm. years, but that's sort of to be expected. I was going to say the same thing. Same thing could be said about Arkham Horror because I I know of a friend who I went to his house once. I turned around and went, "Is that?" Uh, he had a shelf full of Arkham Horror expansions. I went, "Is that all of it?" He went, "No." Well. Uh- I think Arkham, the second edition Arkham handled expansions pretty badly because you sort of needed to include a lot of stuff in there all the time. Whereas with Eldritch, it's like if you're doing this particular god, then you put on the Antarctic map, that kind of thing. There was, it was sort of quite modular in that way, okay. uh, which was pretty nice. It didn't it didn't throw everything at once? But certainly later expansions introduced like modif- like negative modifiers to skills and that kind of thing, which were like felt really harsh in the game. Like it just made it much more difficult and more of a slog. Uh, which uh, I, I started to get a little tired of. And especially when the LCG came along, I, I really went off Eldritch because the LCG just did that sort of story a lot better. And I feel yeah. like Arkham is just a refinement of Eldritch plus some of the mechanics from the LCG. I, I was yeah. going to say, it, I was gonna say from what I've kind of heard from, uh, not a little bit from you guys just there, and kind of the buzz around the internet is that third edition basically seems to have taken a lot from the the LCG. It really feels that way, and I think that's entirely a good thing. Like, it yeah. really is a good thing. I'd agree. The, the LCG has this kind of, you can play this adventure in standalone mode. And in my mind, I'm kind of like, well, I probably would never do that. You know, if I want to play Arkham LCG, I want to go into it, and I want to get the story, and I want to get the campaign element. I want to take my investigator through that story and develop that as that goes. Yeah. But a lot of the time I do kind of feel like, oh, I'd just like to sit down and play a bit of Arkham. And really the the board game felt like that. You know, it's like, okay, you just want a two-hour experience where that is it, start to finish. You don't have to play any more after that. Sit down and play this. It's everything you love about the card game and that kind of story mechanic and the story pushing that and really feeling involved in that. Um, but it's just a bit more bite size in a sense yeah you don't need the deck building there's not the investment of cars that kind of thing as well yeah, yeah I, I think it's a, a big thumbs up from sam and i so jamie what have you been playing a, a couple of things board gaming slightly slowed down a little bit since i've moved back to glasgow uh, but one i picked up very recently was 1960 the making of the president a game that proves that board games are not boring at all that simulates the 1960 presidential election between jfk and richard m nixon Tell me more. <laughs> Can't say it's <laughs> um, It's a game from GMT Games, uh, and throughout if, if GMT talking... famous for um, long time number one board game in the world, Twilight Struggle, which again board game covers game, yes. the riveting theme of the Cold War. I think actually does it very well. It does do it. Um, I'm going to talk. I'm going to mention Twilight Struggle a wee bit throughout. I'm not kind of talking about it, mainly because it's the only G- other GMT game I have played. And um, yeah, same. Jace and Jason Matthews, who it co-designed both Twilight Struggle and 1960 Making of a President. Cool. Shoot. Go for it. So, two-player, I guess, area control game. 
where one person takes the Democrats, helmed by JFK, mm-hmm. and one person takes the Republicans, helmed by Nixon. And it is set across the 50 states of United States of America. The game oh. has nine turns, simulating about nine to ten weeks of campaigning. You have cards very similar to Twilight Struggle that have an event on them, which corresponds to some real-life historical event that took place during the campaign. And it has an effect. Uh, sorry, not it has an effect, and it also has a set of points. Now, in Twilight Struggle, they were ops points or operations points. In this, they are campaign points. Uh, the main difference so they're basically the... kind of gaining voters across the different states, and that's kind of yes. the, the swing in each state. You know, that's the visual representation. <laughs> Slightly, yes. So you can spend some of the points uh, to add cubes to different states. Um, Gotta love cubes. The, Gotta love the, cubes. With the proviso being that your candidate has to move to that state when you're placing cubes down, if that makes sense. And the reason is, I'll, I'll come back to the reason in a minute, and it's divided up into four uh, sections, the West, the Midwest, the Northeast, and the South. And so it costs more for your candidates to travel across boundaries. Um, the interesting mechanic, which is slightly different from Twilight Struggle, is there can only be one colour of cube in any one state at a time. So what that basically means is, say I am in Arkansas, and I have two cubes for the Democrats in Arkansas. And the Republican player uses three campaign points to put three cubes in Arkansas. What that means is you would take away those two Democrat cubes and then put one Republican cube in it, eliminating all Democrat influence. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I realise that, you know, this is a little bit dry and I'm maybe not explaining it the best, but... There is a nice tension about it, as very similar to Twilight Struggle. You're playing the cards back and forth, and they are messing up you or your opponent. Um, it's a very limited game. You're only having a set number of cards a turn. Um, but combined with this, whereas Twilight Struggle had, for example, the Space Race track, uh, in this you have the Issues track, uh, whereby you've got three issues, and you can spend points to put cubes into them, uh, and they're on a separate track. And at the end of a round, you will get markers and you'll get extra support in the form of momentum markers which can be spent to preemptively block or activate um event cards or you can get endorsements which will improve uh another so so does it does it give a good feel of like that that election struggle that sort of push and pull of like key states and that kind of thing i found yes the i've uh, played it twice with my my partner the thing to the thing that's important is some of the states are definitely more important than the others due to the fact that whoever has the most electoral college votes yeah for example yeah yeah. now for example california has like uh 35 or something like that and new york has i'm looking at board now pardon 32 is that the um number in the top corner of the state it is 32. 32. Okay, still a serious amount, and New York has somewhere in the 40s. So those kind of states are very important. Some states only have three or four. You might not fight too much over them. When I was first played it, I kind of I was aware of this, and I kind of built up all those states, and I kind of won very comfortably. Second time, my partner was very aware of it all of a sudden, and it came down to the wire, basically. I think it's that same thing with Twilight Struggle, that there's... Throughout the the play of the game, throughout the different phases of the game, there's this power, huge power struggle huge going power on. Struggle. That it, it swings in one way, then it swings in the other way. And throughout that, there's some areas of the world 
become important much later in the game, where some yes. areas are constantly being fought over, such as, you know, Europe's always a mess. Going down to the Middle East is always very good to get hands on early and things like that. It's a very offensive, then suddenly defensive game. Yeah. Constantly swinging in both ways. You know, one round you can really be thinking, right, I've got this down, I know what I'm doing. And then something happens where it completely throws off your game plan. Um, I like it to that extent. I haven't had the best kind of... not. I don't want to say the best relationship with Twilight Struggle. I think it's fine. I don't enjoy it as much as you guys do. I, I've, I've, I've only played it a couple of times. I, I got rid of my copy because I just never got it to the table. And yeah, like like yourself, Sam, I, I just never quite got it. I think, I think it's one of those games that... If if it really grabs you, you'll just play a lot of. Yes, I but can... if, it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't, then you're just going to be like bounce Sad off to say, it. Twilight Struggle grabbed me, and I really enjoyed it. Um, 1960s grabbed me a little bit more. I just think it's in cool. some ways a little bit simpler, in some ways it's not. Um, well, you said you've also made a purchase of Sakigahara. Uh, yes, I've recently purchased uh, Sakigahara, which is another GMT game, and that is centered around the Battle of Sakigahara, which is a uh, decisive battle at the end of the Sengoku Jidai, which was a warring period in Japan in the, uh, I'm going to say early 1400s, but the battle that basically uh, cemented the Tokugawa shogunate as the rulers of Japan for the next couple of hundred years. Uh, Last weekend, I was down in London and I popped into Orcs Nest and they oh, got yes. a, a GMT wall and yep. I was completely ignorant to the fact of how many games these guys have made oh they yeah it's low uh, throw it out. <laughs> you name a battle there's a board game yeah but no going back to very quickly to, to 1960 um it kind of got its hooks into me i wasn't too sure at first um just again looked at everything and kind of went oh god this is very this is very difficult and gmt for me it seems to be the games look complicated and they're they're not that they're not really it's just they've got a few fiddly me- mechanisms um, yeah, yeah, and I think it's so much of like the complication. I think comes from people's kind of think people think about the theme too much. Yes. You know that actually you look at kind of nineteen sixties election or the Cold War or whatever it might be and feel like oh that's going to be a very heavy game. You know, and I think on the on the surface they're not. They're pretty much just area control games. That's all. Yes, they, absolutely. That's what they really are. You know, it's mm-hmm. how many points do I have in this location? Okay, you've got more than me. I'm going to try and take that back. Yep. At the end, we kind of score things and yep. see who's done the best. You know, but but you, but you know it. And as you said, it's on a good. It goes from turn to turn. Sometimes you're on a fantastic offensive. Sometimes you the opponent plays one card and it affects you, and you're scuppered for the turn. Um, one thing I want to add very quickly about 1960 is that uh, unlike Twilight Struggle, in which no matter who card plays so if you play your opponent's card it automatically activates in 1960 that doesn't happen uh, which is where momentum markers come in momentum markers can be spent to either before a card is played as i said previously preempt your opponent going oh that's a really good event i'm going to activate that which they would then spend a point after after you've used the card to go right i'm activating this event now which adds another little back and forth and it it takes a little bit of onus off the I've got such a bad hand this turn, I can't do anything with it because anything I do will immediately be scuppered by the events that are being made. Um so yeah, my my yeah. Nineteen sixty is is rather my thing right now. Nice. Sounds like it. Cool. Ian. I will shut up about it. What about you? What have I been playing? I've been playing a lot I've been playing quite a lot of role player over the month. Cool. Uh, got we've gotten that out a few times. Uh, I got the 
the base game and the expansion, uh, the uh, Monsters and Minions. That's something uh, we've, we've all played together. Yeah, yeah, we've played, we've played we've played the base game together. Yeah, I I've think you guys quite liked it. Of it. I, yeah. I, I've played two games now, Jamie. I think you've still only played the one. Still only one. I think it's cool. I I really enjoy the puzzle element there. I've mentioned in the past to both of you that I'm not keen on the art. I think they're going for quite a, a fun, free and casual vibe to the actual gameplay, but the art's are very serious. I know, G- Ian, that's something that you enjoy. Um, yeah, I quite like the juxtaposition of those two things. I'd have liked to see a bit more kind of fun art style that kind of got across the kind of silliness that they're trying to get with the gameplay and and i think really does come through when you play it and build your character yeah well the the expansion uh introduces the hunt as well so there's a big monster uh that you go and fight once you've all created your character so essentially you all meet up in the pub at the end and go to fight a big monster oh and do you quickly want to just explain to the folks at home the, the rough premise of of role player. Oh yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so let's start. Yeah, so let's start at the top. The the idea in role player is that you are making a Dungeons and Dragons style character by rolling dice and placing them in a little grid that is like your strength and your decks and your wisdom. And as you place dice in this grid, you're trying to fulfill a bunch of different goals that give you points at the end of the game. The person with point most points at the end is the winner. So those goals might be like you need your strength to be fifteen plus or your dexterity to be exactly seventeen. Or it might be a color pattern that you need because of your back. You get a little background card that tells you the sort of color pattern you want to create in your in your little grid, uh, and you also have a little a little alignment token. Uh, so you might be like psychopathic or wise or something like that. And as you move this little cube around this little card, you get points for that as well. So there's loads of different ways to get points, and you can buy cards from the marketplace over the course of the game that give you other ways to get points. So maybe like you'll buy the weak trait, which means that if your strength is less than eight, uh, you get a couple points at the end of the game, that kind of thing. And then in the expansion, Monsters and Minions, there is a hunt on top of that where there's a big monster to go and fight at the end, which again gives you points depending on how well you do, how much you contribute to that fight. Uh, But during the course of the game, instead of going to the marketplace after everyone's sort of chosen dice, uh, you can instead go on the hunt and uh, beat up smaller minions for information about how to defeat the boss. And effectively what you get is you get a location, obstacle, and attack information about the big boss at the end. And uh, each of those cards is sort of another thing that your board can be, uh, another sort of restriction on your board. And if you manage to get that um, restriction correct and you know the location of the uh, obstacle and the attack of the monster, then you'll get bonuses fighting the big monster at the end and get more points. Yeah, it's, it's really good some... fun. I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's got some really, really cool things in there. Like, I really do enjoy that puzzle element of figuring out where everything's going to go, trying to get all those little kind of achievements, really. That yeah. Says, Here's some it's it's an odd one for me because it's it's quite play, low player interaction, and I'm not usually a big fan of that. But I think yeah. the puzzle's fun, and everyone else is having exactly the same problems you are and making exactly the same mistakes. The last game we played had the most player interaction definitely than our first one of there was a lot of kind of knowing what people wanted from the marketplace of, of goodies and then just denying everyone everything yeah I, just... I was playing the monk class which allows me to throw stuff away for extra attribute action basically every time you place a dice in a row you get to do a thing and that allowed me to do it more so i just wandered into marketplaces and destroyed stuff so you just great. find out what me and me and dave wanted and just saying no because i get to do something when i bin it 
The other game that's totally blown me away this month is Civilization New Dawn, which I think you own, Sam. I do. I got it when it came out, and I've only played it a handful of times, really. Really did like it, though. I've only played once. It's really good, though, isn't it? Like, the, yeah, you'll the, have to come over and we'll get a game in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like to me, like it's I have, I've been searching for a good Civ game that doesn't play in like a thousand hours. Yes. And I picked up Car Impera Victoria uh, Essen this year, and that's really yep, good fun. Really good yeah, fun, but like, I don't think it's the same feel. It's very much kind no. of a card game. It's a bit of a gotcha game. Yeah. It, I mean, it's yeah. got a little combo thing going on. I quite like it for that. But, but yeah, I don't feel like I'm building a civilization. No, like, that's That's the theming of it, but I don't get that from it. Yeah. Civilization New Dawn, you definitely get that from it. It's a very fast-playing game. There's so little downtime. Like, by the time you've taken one action, you're, like, thinking about your next one, it comes back round to you again. Yeah, it can easily like, play in, what, 90 minutes? Yeah, and that, is... the focus bar is absolutely fantastic. A fantastic law mechanic. So you've basically, have you have you played it, Jamie? Uh, Civilization and New Dawn? No, I haven't. Yeah. So the core of the game is like right in front of you all the time. There's this focus bar numbered one to five, left to right, and you have five cards below that that are like military, science, economy, other things. And as you uh, as wherever card is on the track, the higher up the track it is, the more powerful its effect will be when you use it. But when you use the card, it shoves it back down to the bottom of the okay. track. Okay. So you're constantly solving a puzzle of when is the most efficient time for me to do something. And the answer is not always in position five. Yeah. Because you might want to do other things. Because yeah, you've got no, bored in front really of you. Nice. And you're, you're moving around and trying to fulfill three different goals. There's three different goal cards at the side, which have like two goals mm. on them. And you uh-huh. can fill either or a goal to, to get the card. And the okay. first person to all three cards is the winner. Okay. Yeah, so you're trying I, to do different stuff. So maybe you're trying to like get to the highest tech first, or build the most cities first, or that, or that kind of, or kill barbarians, or whatever you're trying to do. And yeah, just there's just that little puzzle in front of you is so great. The one downside I had about it was the victory conditions. That's the only thing I wasn't particularly keen on. That it hasn't got the standard. You can win by military. You can win by science. You can win by this. It's kind of there's a few things up there that everyone's going for. Okay. Yeah, um, I kind of I, I kind of like that. I think because it feels like a race. It feels like Civ yeah, no, always feels like think a it race, and it, get, it, it gets that really um, well. But to get that, you know, it is a license of Sid Meier's Civilization. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big selling points of that series of games, is it has like five or six victory conditions these days. You know, um, and if the board game could recreate that in some way, I think I'd just be a lot more kind of really impressed by it. But for what it is, I think it's great. I do have the older FFG Civilization game, I think was based on Civ 4. It's um, got the square tiles in it. It's a bit, it's a lot clunkier. Um, It's got a really strange, almost rock, paper, scissory um, fighting mechanic in there that i wasn't too keen on um it's got it's got a proper tech tree that's interesting i really like the tech tree in new dawn because you're just all you're doing is replacing the focus cards yeah yeah. um and there's a really nice thing which is that each tech isn't necessarily better than the previous one it's just different yeah and it's whatever suits you for what victory conditions you are going for at that time yeah because like i i finished i i won my first game of it and i still had like i think i still had science one or something yeah. Okay. Because okay. I just hadn't needed it. No, I, but I, I think I, it's I, I cool. can still use that card to do a thing, but it just wasn't as efficient as like mm. later techs. It's got a lot of stuff. I'd really love to give it another go. So yeah. let me know when you're free, and we can get that done. Yeah, I definitely like, like to see an expansion for it, which is just more cards. I, I think that's the only thing I would say. Like, I can see it 
wearing a little thin replayability wise yeah whether but they will do that i don't know it's been out for about a year now yeah um, i don't think it was terribly successful for so i think it's i think it's one of their most elegant designs yet like yeah. i mean i love that i love arkham rlcg as you know and mm-hmm. that's our listeners you, know I, that you've now. never mentioned but, it before I've never really mentioned that game. It's just 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 little, this little game I play obsessively, um, mm. but yeah, I, I think New Dawn is like an, just a beautifully elegant piece of design. Really, really good. Well, thanks very much for listening, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this little idle thought, this first idle thoughts episode. Uh, we'll be bringing you more in the future, and uh, yeah, let us know what you're playing, what you've been enjoying in the previous month, and. Uh, let us know what you want to hear about. We'll be obviously p- p- putting up games on our Instagram feed and Twitter as we play them over the course of the month. And let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Idle Thoughts. Uh, thanks very much for your patronage and thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.